And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Welcome, everybody. I have a special guest for you tonight because I know you love to have near-death experiencers from different cultures. Today, we have David Wallace from Hawaii to talk about his near-death experiences. David, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome. Aloha, everybody. <laughs> All right, David. So if you don't mind, let's just start with the most impactful NDE for you. Actually, I'll start off with my first NDE. Okay. Um, because actually it was uh, the base. It formed the base of uh, you know future things to come. And it opened up a brand new world for me. So this first NDE occurred when I was five years old. And the way it happened, my brother and I were playing in the old cars, and uh, he kicked me from one side of the car to the other side uh, while we were moving on the road. And I reached back to catch myself, and instead of grabbing uh, something secure, I grabbed the door handle, which opened when you pull down. And so the door swung open and pulled me out of the car. And I went shooting out of the car and landed head first on the road. Now, uh, the first thing I recall, as soon as I hit the road, I felt no pain. But I felt like a separation. Um, my body went one way and it seemed that uh, my conscious and my awareness went a different way. It pulled away. I, I could feel myself pulling back like I was trying to avoid uh, from falling. And actually what happened at that moment, my my spirit left my body. And so for a few seconds, you know, less than, less than a minute, I saw myself looking down. I felt myself looking down at this poor boy. And this uh, little kid was on, on the ground. And uh, blood was coming from his head, and it was just out. And it took me a while to realize that this person on the ground was me. And as soon as I realized that, I started looking around. And although I knew where I was, I was pretty close to home. The surroundings, the area around me, the colors, everything was different. It looked different. It was bright, vibrant. The colors were alive. And there were strange things, forms, kind of like shadowy things that uh, began to move closer towards me. And that made me afraid. And as soon as I felt myself feeling afraid and pulling away from this situation, I felt scared. I felt someone reach from behind and pull me in with his hands. And, and I could see his big hands in front of me and pulling me close. And when I looked back, there was this huge Hawaiian man. And he smiled at me and just uh, grasped me and held me tight in his arms. And we were in zipping through the air. And he took me away from this space because, you know, I was scared. And so um, as I started traveling with him, we were zipping through space like we're flying like a rocket. <laughs> and that's how it felt. I could feel like um, you know, things brushing by me, lights were zipping past. And um, it seems that um, there are all kind of different colors, uh, dark, white, yellow, uh, blues, and all of these colors kind of like rushing by me. And we're gone for just a few, you know, minutes or so. And I felt like, wow, I, and finally I get to be like Superman and I, I'm flying <laughs> and I'm moving really quick. And finally, we reached this one place, and uh, there was a bright light shining. And he took me towards the light, and the light um, went down into a hole. It looked like a hole in the ground, and we went down a shaft. 
And in the shaft, as I started looking around, it looked like we were going down into a cave. And actually, I remember thinking, uh, where am I going? Am I going to hell? <laughs> because it looked like I was going in the earth. And finally, when I reached the bottom of the shaft, um, what it turned out to be was a small room. And if I was to measure the room, it was probably about eight by eight, but it was a shape um, shaped in an octagon, uh, like a stop sign. And he had uh, windows and doors around. And that's where he kept me. And um, at first I started looking around, wondering what this room was. And he and I started talking and I asked him what was this place and and why why I was there. And he told me that this is a safe place and I'm there mainly for my protection. And I, uh, I asked him, protecting from what? So he pointed outside of the windows and the doors and um, their windows looked like glass or plexiglass. And as I started looking out um, outside, it was really dark, but uh, it was illuminated only by the light that was coming from inside of our room. And as it shined outward, I could see a big empty space, a cavern. But um, as I began staring outward, I noticed that there were shadows the same kind of shadows that I saw around the car. That's what was happening as of the shadows. And I didn't know what it was, but it was human shape. And the shadows kept on coming closer, closer, closer until they came right up to the window. And as soon as they came up close to the window, then I started looking at these, uh, these people. There were people. And I looked at them and they looked kind of familiar. And I thought that they were family members. They could have been family members. And they started calling me. I said, come outside, David. Yeah, come, come. And so I walked up to the window and I tried to open the door. And as soon as I tried to touch the doorknob, the big man came and snatched me away from the door and says, no, stay inside here. You don't want to go out. And so I asked him, why? Why can't I go out? These people are, you know, look like they're my relatives. And he said, no, they're not. Take a look again. Take a second look. And uh, tell me who's missing. So as I started looking among the people that were there, and I looked at my caretaker, <laughs> And I says, yeah, funny, my, my grandpa is not out there. My grandparents, they're not out there. Uh, my great-grandparents, not there. And so um, I said, yeah, because these guys are not who they are, who they think they are. And so I backed away from the, I backed away from the window and backed away from the door. And as soon as I did that, people outside turn into real mean looking creatures very demonic in appearance um, they didn't morph into beasts or whatever it's just that their facial features changed they were no longer happy and inviting me but they were threatening they were mad they were angry at me for not wanting to join them and so uh, basically i was schooled i spent uh, it seemed like a long time that I was in the room and um, I had conversations about the man uh, with the man about my name, my Hawaiian name, Imaikalani, what it meant. And uh, it was supposed to be a guide for my life. And so uh, we discussed that. And eventually, um, after being in the room for a while, I felt really tired and I went to take a nap. And the next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital <laughs> and that ended my, my first NDE. So in this NDE, I found out that, um, you know, when, when people are kind of like in limbo, 
there's a safe place that you can go, and especially if you're guided by an ancestor. Thank you for sharing that experience, David. <laughs> Is it common within Hawaiian culture for people to talk about NDEs or out-of-body experiences? Yes. Um, in fact, uh, some of the Hawaiians refer to this as uhane uh, lele or the spirit walk and uhane uh, holo, something like that. Um, but there's um, many, many instances where uh, people will find themselves uh, astral projecting from place to place. Um, our kahunas on the island of Molokai and throughout Hawaii, um, they had this um, ability to be at multiple places at the same time. They could project their images all around the islands and be at different places at the same time. So these were things that, um, you know, we were taught um, if, <laughs> if I was uh, raised in an ancient culture, the things that we're talking about would be common. <laughs> Do you have any idea who your Hawaiian protector was? Sure. Um, I've seen him. I've seen this man several times since then. And uh, he's one of my ancestors, very important ancestor. That is uh, a kahuna nui. And he has been with me for from that moment until now. So he's still with me all the time. Hmm. Uh, the Hawaiians call this an aumakua, or family guardian. What about the demon-like beings? Do they have a, a name for that? Um, well, the Hawaiian name for um, mischievous spirits is lapu-lapu kolohe, or the naughty spirits. Hmm. <laughs> uh, they're the ones that cause uh, problems and um, there's a difference, too, between um, the spirits of the uh, deceased people. Um, they will have identities. They will have their personalities and very recognizable. But um, you also have spirits that are uh, you know, unborn. And so they can morph into anything that they want. Can you tell us about the traditional spirituality or religion of the people, of the native people of Hawaii, and what that is? Actually, um, the concept of a Hawaiian religion is a foreign idea mm. because uh, religious practices were very individual. Um, it depended upon your family beliefs because each family would have uh, different things that were sacred to them. And they would have their own uh, family guardians. Like my Amakua is a family member. It's not some kind of you know, God that's not out there. So this is a very personal. Um, so the Hawaiian uh, spiritual practices were very um, specific to the individual and the family. Uh, for example, if my living, if I was a fisherman, yeah, uh, the most important environment for me would be the ocean. So I'd, be make, I'd make sure that the gods of the ocean, the fish that I'm fishing, the place, and uh, I pay respect to those so that my fishing uh, expeditions will be successful. I'll be safe on the ocean. Uh, Kanaloa is one of the, uh, the gods of the ocean, so I pay respect to them. Um, and there's a kugad for um, Kuahula. Um, that's a fisherman's god. I would be praying to them. So it's very specific. Um, if you grow taro on land and you're not going into the ocean, um, you're... Uh, spiritual practices are different from mine. All right, if you don't mind, then let's move on to your second NDE. <laughs> okay, second NDE occurred when after I returned from Chicago in 1979, I believe. And uh, it was the worst snowstorm. And I was up there for uh, a, an entire week, I believe. And I got sick. And upon returning to Hawaii, I developed double pneumonia. And so I was out of work for a bit, and I was a policeman at that time. 
And so one night I was feeling so bad and my temperature was really high and I felt so lousy. Um, I told my wife before I went to bed, it says, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> mm. uh, so I kissed her and she says, stop doing that. I said, no, I, I, I think I'm going to die. And that's what I told her. So I went to bed with that in mind. I was resigning to die. And I was, I would be happy if I had gone to that time, I guess. Mm. So while I'm sleeping, I felt somebody pull my toe <laughs> on my foot, the big toe. And among Polynesians, that's the way we wake up the spirit. <laughs> if you find a person sleeping, you pull on their toe and their spirit wake up. And that's what happened to me. Um, I got out of bed and I looked to the uh, foot of my bed and there stood my friend, Bruce. Now this man, I had gone hunting with him about uh, a couple months before that. And shortly after the hunting accident, he passed away. So he, he was dead. And however, that night when he pulled on my toe and I jumped out of my body, I looked at him and I hugged him and I started crying. And finally I realized he's dead. So I pushed back and says, Bruce, you can't, you know, what's what's going on? Am I dead too? <laughs> so he says, no, 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 Dave, I wanted to show you something. And I says, okay, show me. So he walked to, um, he walked us on the side of my bed and uh, opened up our closet. And when he opened up the closet, there was our clothes, stick his hand inside the closet and separated the clothes and when he parted the clothes, I saw a big hole, huge hole in the back of the closet. And he says, that's what I wanted to show you. And I started looking at him and I could see this long tunnel. And dark where we were, but as we, you look further in, there's a small, small piece of light out there at the end of the tunnel. And he invited me into the tunnel and says, come, let me, uh, I want to show you something. So I agreed and walked through, walked through. And this tunnel wasn't a straight path. It was kind of zigzagging, going, you know, turning, twisting and turning. However, every turn that we made, the place got brighter and brighter. And came to the point where uh, it was so bright, like we were walking in the sun. And I looked at my hand. And I noticed my uh, my clothing changed. Instead of wearing my pajamas, I was wearing this white cloth. That, and as I brushed my uh, hand over, it felt like feathers, almost like a bird. And it was loose and kind of like fluttering. And when I passed my hand over, I could feel something like electricity coursing through my fingers. And Wow. And right at that moment, when I could feel that energy coursing through me, my breathing issues that I had, the pain in my chest, my, uh, my fever was gone. And it's the best feeling I ever had. I was just elated, filled with energy. And the strongest thing I felt inside there was a feeling of love. Mm. I was being loved. The brighter the light got, the stronger I felt this love. When he finally reached the end of the, uh, the tunnel, there was a memory. And it, it kind of like remind me of uh, the birth sack um, where it, you can see through, but it's kind of cloudy. And so I started looking through this and I could see an entire new world, different world on the other side of this memory. It was uh, the greenest grass I ever seen, most beautiful trees, flowers, and uh, the sun that was, uh, there was a bright light coming from there, coming in, and I could just feel overwhelmed by it. And the first thing off to the left, I see people started coming over a hill. And as they got closer, I recognized all of the people that was there. They were my ancestors. Mm. 
going back for a long time. And as a group, they're coming and there are thousands of them. And uh, I was really excited to see them. However, the next thing that I saw made me even more excited was I heard, I started hearing barking, dogs barking, you know, and I looked to the side and from behind the group, all of these animals started running towards me and I looked at them and they were pets that I had from the time I was a little kid that had passed away a long time ago. And they were there and they ran up to the membrane, membrane and they were trying to jump on me and they couldn't come through. And I'm over there trying to reach down and grab them, but my friend is holding me back, says, no, they've stayed. <laughs> and so I started bawling. And my ancestors were calling me, says, David, John, come, come. And my dogs were, and uh, my pets, guinea pigs, pigeons, <laughs> all of the pets that I had were there, right there. And I wanted to join them. In fact, I took one step through the membrane and I could almost feel it reach right through this place. And then I felt my friend grabbed me from the behind and grabbed my shoulder. And once he touched me, I heard a voice coming from the other end of the tunnel. And it was the voice of my daughter saying, Daddy, where are you? Mm. And so hearing the voice calling me, Daddy, where are you? I stepped Hi. back and uh, my friend pulled me out of the memory. And I looked at my friend and said, oh, I cannot go through right now. And we hugged and I kissed him. And I said, thank you for showing me this. And he told me that uh, <clears throat> he wished he had made the same decision I was making because it looked like he had a choice of going or staying. He chose to go and I chose to go back. So um, we cried and it was the saddest feeling that I ever had. And I woke up crying in my, in my bed. And when I woke up, uh, not only crying, I felt my bed and it was soaking wet. The fever I had, had broken. And uh, I, was, I got well from that moment on. But ever since that dream and stuff, it changed my perspective about death. I'm no longer afraid of it. So it sounds like your pneumonia was healed yeah. during your NDE. What else about your perspective of death changed after that? Well, you know, when we think about heaven, we only think about a place for human beings. Mm -hmm. But um, when I saw my, my pets, I said, wow, our pets are there. And when you think about it, pets are totally innocent, you know? And so uh, them being in heaven... Makes total sense. <laughs> After any of these NDEs, did you notice that you had any new abilities that you haven't had before? Yes. Uh, after the first near-death experience I had, um, I started noticing it, uh, if people tried to hide things from me, and if I put my mind to it, um, I could see what they had. And I used to go to birthday parties <laughs> and uh, people would bring their their presents and me being a real curious kid uh, I used to stare at the presents and I could see what was in the box mm. and I I tell the the people hey this is a toy or this is a book or this is a piece of clothes ah, well, you know tell me the color then if you can see it and <laughs> I name them right exactly, you know, exactly what it was. For me, books is the uh, easiest one because uh, I love books. <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't mind, let's move on to your next one. The third one occurred, and uh, this, is this is the one that some people think it's a dream. I think it's a, um, it's, it is an experience. So, and um, for this one, I was in my 40s, and I got sick. Um, I had uh, spinal meningitis, mm. avian flu, 
and uh, my blood had turned septic. And uh, I tried to handle it my way by staying home and just drinking uh, water and um, as much as I could. But uh, I got so weak, um, I decided to go to the doctor and on the way out of the house, I fell through, I fell through uh, the window. And luckily, uh, one of the gardeners that was out there, um, you know, heard the commotion and called the ambulance and rushed me to the hospital. When I got there and uh, they started hooking me up um, and I was rushed to ICU. Eventually, the doctor that came in to take a look at me says, uh, told me if I wasn't, um, if I was about uh, 20 minutes late, later came coming into the hospital i couldn't guarantee my life i was that close to death and at that time uh i was in a bad place in fact i was uh, kind of partial suicidal i didn't care if i lived or died and so i, was, I wasn't taking good care of myself so um <clears throat> when i was in icu there's so many medications coming into me the IV bags was just lying all the way down. They had two sets of IV things going on to me. And I had tubes running into me all over. But um, on the first night there, I started looking around. And I could see spirits beginning to gather around my bed. And these were ancestral spirits. And for Hawaiians, when we start seeing ancestral spirits especially close ones that we know that's not a good sign for you <laughs> you're ready to go they come in to guide you <laughs> they're your guides to the next world so i knew i was in trouble and so when i fell asleep i had a really strange dream and in this dream i felt my i, I saw myself in a cemetery and i looked around and i was trying to get out of the cemetery and I couldn't find the gate, and the uh, the gates were too tall for me to climb. And uh, it was dark, and it would just looked mean. I started running around trying to find a place, and finally, I was running blind, and I fell in a hole. When I fell in a hole, I looked up, and there was a stone marker on the grave with my name. Mm. I had felt I had fallen into my own grave. And so I climbed out and, and everything, and I got out, and I started crying at the grave. I said, no, I don't want to go. Right around then, a really, really handsome young man appeared in my dream, and he was dressed in a beautiful um, black suit with a top hat. And he came to me, and he spoke perfectly. And he, um, when I looked at him, I... Uh, he called me, hello, David, he knew my name. And I asked him, who are you? He says, I'm death and I'm come for you. And I looked at him and I says, no, I'm not ready to go. Yes, so I stood up and I ran. And as I ran, uh, I looked back to uh, towards this man and in the back, I could see four animals start charging and coming and chasing after me. And as they got closer to me and I started running, um, they looked like big Dobermans, black Dobermen, mean. And they were ready to you know, chew me up. So I started running and uh, I was looking for a place where I could stand and fight against these, uh, these dogs. And I saw a huge tree and I ran up to the tree and I raced myself against the tree and the dog started uh, attacking me. And as soon as the first one bit into me, I felt this rage inside of me build up. And this rage turned me into something powerful. I could see myself grow huge. And uh, eventually my hands became claws, my my mouth became filled with huge teeth. And I look at my hands and my legs 
I realized I was a giant werewolf. <laughs> so the dogs that were biting at me. One of them was biting me. I grabbed him and bit off his head <laughs> and spit it towards this handsome man and uh, just threw the dog on the side. The other dogs saw what I did and they started. Uh, one of them continued the attack, so I squashed him. And then the third dog, again, I just caught him in the air and squished it like a tomato. The last surviving dog ran away, killed Tuck in the back. And after I did that, <clears throat> I was still morphing, uh, morphed into this huge werewolf and I'm ready to fight. And this man comes up walking to me, clapping his hand. Says, congratulations, way to go. And I look at him and I said, what? Why are you doing that for? And he says, well, Look like you got something to fight for. Life has meaning for you. He says, yeah. And at that time, I had just met my wife that I'm married to now. And she was the bright spot in my life. And I feel this is what gave me the spark to fight for my life. Mm -hmm. And this man who was deaf uh, said that, and he was really glad to see me fighting for my life and I have a purpose in life. And he said, I'll let you go and I'll catch you next time. <laughs> you said in the beginning of this experience, you were already down and unhappy in life. Do you think that this guy was just testing you? Oh, yeah. Life has been a constant test for me on where what I intend to do and uh, if I have the guts to do the things that I need to. And uh, this experience uh, was actually a turning point uh, at me. You know, for um, I had to make a decision, you know, uh, stay in a relationship that I wasn't happy with and wasn't good for me or change a relationship and uh, get with a woman that will support me 100%. Because I tell you what, um, if I wasn't married to my my wife now, um, the man I'm here right now would not exist. All right. Well, let's go on to your next one. <laughs> okay. That's the third one, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> People okay. are going to be getting jealous how you've got to have so many and they haven't had any. Yeah, the... The final um, near-death experience occurred, um, if you could see my chest up here, um, you know, mm -hmm. I have a scar. And um, I had uh, triple bypass and open heart surgery. And um, this was 11 years ago. Actually, 12 years ago, uh, 2010, I had surgery surgery was planned it's supposed to take about uh, three and a half to four hours uh, surgery ended up uh, going over seven and a half hours and uh, later I found out that uh, when when I tried talking to the, um, the surgeon he says why did it take so long you know, why did it take seven and a half hours? And my poor wife was waiting for me uh, at the hospital all that time. So she must have been really worried. And all the, all the surgeon said was, there are complications. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, right. I, I, by then, I had gathered myself to realize what had happened. But I remember myself from being put under um, the uh, anesthesiologist came and injected me and asked me to start counting. I think I just said um, 100 and I'm supposed to count backwards. I just remember saying 100 and I was gone. <laughs> but sometime during the surgery, <clears throat> I felt jolted. And um, you know, like sometimes when you're sleeping and um, there's something 
that's shocking or you panic in a dream and you, your whole body jolt and you jump up. That's what I felt. <clears throat> and I couldn't understand it. So I jumped out of my body and I started looking around and I found myself in a room, dark in a room, there's light going on. And I seen people in blue walking around this table frantically uh, doing things. And um, I saw a man lying down on, on a table, his chest open up. And these guys are having paddles, pedals, and trying to shock this guy. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, this guy must be in bad shape. Poor thing. <laughs> I didn't dawn on me that was me. And so I started watching more and watching more. And I moved around and I came up um, by the person's head. And I looked and that's when I realized it was me. And again, panic overcame me. I was scared. I knew this guy was in trouble. And so as soon as I panicked and I started looking around, I started to look around for guides, spirit guides, maybe coming to pick me up. But uh, same thing happened to me when I had my first NDE. From behind, this huge hand came around and grabbed me. This time, it, you know, it wasn't as big when I was little, but it was a monstrous hand. This man reached across and pulled me and took me through the roof, through the operating room, and we ended up uh, above the hospital. And this hospital is located um, close to uh, downtown Honolulu. And so I could see everything around me. I've seen the businesses, I've seen the Honolulu International Center or the Blaisdell Center, I've seen the schools, the traffic and everything. And I look back and stuff and I says, where are we going? And it says, you remember the place? And we started zipping through the air and went right back to the same place where this man took me when I was five deep down inside a cavern into a small little room. This time I'm much larger, so the fit was tight. And when we got there, uh, there were two other people inside the room. There were other people inside the room. And they came to help this man manage me because now I'm a big adult. <laughs> and uh, but the same thing happened in the room. Um, there's multiple-sided rooms with windows and doors. And this time, the people knew that I was hungry. So um, these demons that are outside, they're showing me delicious plate lunches, drinks, <laughs> and trying to entice me to open up the door and join with them. And um, so these men inside was trying to keep me from opening up the doors and joining joining them. And after when I finally conceded and say, okay, I'll stay with you folks. Um, that's when the spirits on the outside turned mean. And uh, they were pounding on the windows and rapping on the doors. Come on, Eddie. We, we, we want to take you with us. Yeah, we want to take you with us. And you don't belong in there. You belong out here with us. So that's the kind of stuff they were saying, trying to make me angry so I would step outside. But my ancestors and protectors knew if I step outside. What do you think would have happened to you if you did go outside? I'd be one of the lapu-lapu kolohe roaming the earth, mm. um, not being able to um, go to the land of the ancestors. I'd be one of the lost souls. Were any of your NDE experiences more real than living life? I think the one that um, seemed the most real was uh, meeting death in the graveyard. It seemed so real to me. Mm. 
in fact uh, when i woke up from that one my uh one of the dogs bit me on my uh, near my ankle and uh, when i woke up from that one my ankle was hurting for several days wow i don't know could have banged it against the bed <laughs> yeah are any of your ndes fading from memory or do you think about any one of them like almost every day well, because of my work, um, I'm constantly advising people who have strange things happen to them. And, um, you know, I just got a call earlier today about a, a person that maybe uh, may have a spiritual attachment on them and mm -hmm. that's creating problems with them. So anytime I deal with them, I'm taken back to my experiences um, with, you know, the lapu-lapu uh, So I'm constantly um, being reminded through the things that I work with and help people with. So, yeah, I, it's uh, the most difficult one to um, remember is the one that I uh, had when I was five years old because um, I'm 68, going to be 69 years old, right? So you're talking about something that happened about 63 years ago. And um, when, I f when it first happened to me, I tried to suppress it because everybody that I was telling them thought I was crazy, you know? And um, I didn't want to be known as a crazy guy. So mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I kind of like suppress it and push it back. And uh, the other NDEs occurred uh, during my adulthood. So uh, by that time, I really didn't care what people thought about me. <laughs> so that seems to be the difference. So uh, the first NDA is, was the one that uh, required a lot of effort to recall. And in fact, um, I had to kind of like uh, go through hypnosis to recall it. Have you told your friends and family about your NDEs? And if so, how do they respond? All of my families, uh, all of my family, my my kids, my brothers, uh, my brother and sisters, and close family members, they know about it. And for their response to that is, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Just like, okay, uh, anything else? <laughs> yeah, they're not surprised at all. When you had your first NDE and you were outside of your body, did you happen to see your brother in the car? Yeah, uh, it's, he wasn't in the car. He, he, as soon as I hit the road and the car stopped, he came running out and he was crying like a little girl. I, mm. I was teasing him about that later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's crying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, and uh, just panicking. And uh, one of my cousins, uh, older cousins was driving the car and she was in panic mode and so fortunately there was a car um, behind us um, and uh, they knew me but they didn't have that uh, emotional attachment so they could respond better so they're the ones that actually um, took care of me while I was on the ground making sure that uh, you know I wasn't moved until uh, the ambulance came. Was your cousin and your brother surprised when you told them, you know, I saw you crying and I saw you panicking? Yeah, they they didn't. Uh, they looked at me kind of like, how'd you know that? I says, I was there. I was up. No, you weren't. You're out cold. Mm -hmm. So, no, I was watching you folks all the time. <laughs> and so they couldn't explain it. And they felt, uh, they felt kind of um, spooked out about it. Yeah. Do you think that any of these experiences served as a template, what you would go on to do with the rest of your life? Yes. In fact, my perception of death, I, I like I said, I, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of death. And in my counseling with people, I've had over the years, several people um, from the mainland, from the mainland U.S., and they come to Hawaii um, some of them are really, really sick. And uh, in fact, they're near death themselves. Uh, they're ready to die. 
And for some reason, they come to Hawaii thinking that they'll find a kahuna hmm. that can snap the fingers and you know heal them right away. And I've worked with a lot of them uh, during that, uh, who make that trip here looking for a kahuna that can heal them. And when I run into these people, I can see, and depending on the stage, some of them are savable. Um, I don't see the ancestors around them. Mm. And, um, you know, they still have uh, time to make the necessary corrections. But the ones that come uh, to me that already have their ancestors following them, they see them, they feel them. They're beginning to talk talk to the aunts or uncles or mothers and fathers uh, in the dreams. And the, you know, these people are inviting them to the next dimension already. Those are the ones that I try and calm their fears. And I share my near-death experiences with them and say, oh, the next side, the next step in our evolution is something wonderful, something to look forward to. And I talk to them about the pets. And it's really interesting um, because they're more excited to see their pets mm -hmm. than their relatives, <laughs> you know? So they, um, they're excited. And by the time I, I leave with them, their attitude about death is, uh, you know, they're walking away with peace in their mind. So there's been many of them like that. So are you a spiritual counselor and that's how people search you out? Yes. Um, in Hawaii, I'm called a kahu. And a kahu is something similar to a, uh, a holy man or a spiritual person. And uh, the term kahu is... Uh, considered to be a caretaker. So it's our job to, it's our responsibility to care for people, uh, to help them heal, to help them uh, make important decisions and bring comfort to their lives. So that's the role that I, I play in, in this community. Would that be similar to a shaman in the Native American community? Very similar. In fact, I've worked with a Native American shaman before. Do you work with anything herbal or anything like ayahuasca? No, my my approach is pure energy. And um, pure energy, taking care of the flow of energy in the body, restoring energy, restoring connections that were lost. And um, some people call me a medical intuitive where... Um, I use my skills in remote viewing and uh, as a Reiki master. I'm, I am a Reiki master too. So I combine both of those uh, when I'm dealing with someone who is ill. I can sense where their injury or illness is and I can see the effects that it's causing upon the body so that um, when I send, when I do send uh, healing energy, it's very pinpoint. I believe you're also a tarot reader. Do you yes. and how do you implement that into what you're doing? Well, uh, the tarot the tarot cards um, help me um, express the things that come to me intuitive. Anyway, it's just that uh, for me, it's like uh, notes from my subconscious or from spirit to help me give the, the best counsel to to the people so i do healing uh, uh healing spreads health spreads and uh, things like that and it's uh it's a tool i also use dowsing pendulums to locate illness or injury <laughs> that that works really well too all right well if people want to find out more about you what is the best way they should do that sure on facebook um if you're on facebook you can uh, just contact me. I'm Kahu Dave, K-A-H-U, Dave, D-A-V-E. And I do have a website. It's called um, www.intuitiveinsightshawaii.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. So uh, you can contact me either way. I didn't mention it, but you're also an author of the book, The Journey of Our Souls. Can you tell us That's a little right. bit about that? All of the uh, four near-death experiences are covered in my book uh, with more detail. In fact, that's the reason why I, I wrote it. And uh, it's it talks about my journey and the things that I learned and developed um, that can be traced back to these NDEs. Because for each NDE, I came away with uh, not only new insights, but also um, new skills that I began to develop. And uh, so there's multiple skills that came out each time I had a uh, near-death experience. Hmm. It's an awakening. (laughs) All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Um, Actually, for um, my experience with um, with the NDE, what it told me is... uh, what it showed me is that life is a very precious gift that we have. And uh, whatever life we have, whether we think it's uh, a good life or something that could improve, uh, just being living and among the living is a blessing. So we need to count it as a blessing no matter what's happening in in our lives. Um, For me, there's a lot of health issues that I suffer. And I can feel sorry. I have the choice of either feeling sorry for myself or accepting what happens and live the best life I can, you know, with these things. And I choose to be an optimist and enjoy life and see the good in everything. David, thank you for that message. And thank you so much for being our guest this evening. I really appreciate you, and I wish you a wonderful day in Hawaii. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's very wonderful, and thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. All right, take care, and God bless you. Aloha. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the Join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.